they wouldn't come in the mail, but they would go to at the shopping mall, our tiny itty bitty shopping mall. There was a when this is Anne in California. And just like me, she grew up during a time when the Christmas season was populated by the likes of Atari video game consoles, Teddy Ruxpins, and Rainbow Bright. Oh, Rainbow Bright, yes, Gem, Gem and the Hologram. We're talking about not only the wonders of 1980s Christmas toys, but also about another piece of Christmas nostalgia. One known to generations of kids here in America and in Canada where Anne grew up. Every year, sometime in the fall, a new edition would arrive. Maybe it would come in the mail. Maybe you'd pick it up in person. That's right. Actually, the store was called the Laughing Giraffe. Colorful, glossy, enticing, filled with photographs and delightfully persuasive descriptions. It was countless children's favorite bit of Christmas reading, a field guide to the Christmas season, a treasure map, the fuel for heart's desires and letters to Santa. It was the department store catalog. And I would sit at the kitchen table and I would flip through the pages and circle everything that was to my heart's delight, like the dreams and hopes and wish, everything I wanted to tell Santa that I wanted. And I went through that book like it was my job, like it was a Maybe it seems funny to look back with nostalgia at what was just a giant advertisement. The fact that many of us do is practically a metaphor for the materialism and commercialization that has come to define the season. But there's more going on here. Yes, in the strictest sense, we're talking about several hundred pages worth of merchandise descriptions. But we're also talking about how much of the magic of the Christmas season is in the anticipation, the build-up to something grand. And few things were more effective at building that anticipation for children of that bygone era than these. For many of us of a certain age, the memories of them are indelible. I remember the feeling of the pages, and I remember how it smells, and and I remember circling, and I would present it to my mom. And I don't remember if I got anything that I circled. I just remember the anticipation of like, oh, and imagine playing with this, and I just probably asked for a hundred things. Kids these days, am I right? They'll never know what it's like to dog-ear that page with the Garfield alarm clock, or circle a Superman sleeping bag, or read by the light of the Christmas tree lights and wish and wish and wish. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. Many large retailers, including Sears, JCPenney, FAO Schwartz, Wards, Eaton's, and others, produced their own versions of these annual catalogs. So for me, the JCPenney Christmas catalog was sort of my, my gateway drug of Christmas cataloging. That's Jason Liebig. He's the creator and curator of Wishbook Web, a website where he has digitized dozens of vintage catalogs going back more than 85 years. I think they came out in late August, and I sat there and dreamed about the toys that I would get. You know, these were dream books. They really were wish books. Some of these were given titles like The Christmas Book or Christmas 1965 or something, but it was Sears that started calling their catalog The Wish Book beginning sometime in the 1960s. The name became so commonly known that it has since become synonymous with any of those Christmas catalogs of a bygone era. Well, let's go back to the beginning. A Sears Wish Books uh, started in the 30s. 1933 to be exact. At the time, Sears was like Amazon, that one behemoth retailer that sold everything imaginable. It all started in 1886 when Richard Sears and Alva Roebuck turned their local business selling gold watches into a mail-order operation. 
About a decade later, the catalog expanded to include just an overwhelming amount of items, and the Sears Roebuck Company quickly became the retailer in America. By the end of the 19th century, a Sears catalog would typically top 300 pages. Now here's a little aside for you, but I'll just tell you now there's nothing Christmassy about it. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, modern commercially available toilet paper was still in its infancy. The manufacturing process still hadn't been perfected. In fact, even as late as the 1930s, it was still common practice for toilet paper makers to show the quality of their product by marketing it as splinter-free. So just let that sink in. One of the alternatives people turned to was, guess what? The Sears catalog. Why not? It was free. The newsprint it was printed on tended to be splinter-free to begin with, making it a better option anyway. And again, there were hundreds of pages to use. Many people even complained when Sears began printing their catalogs on glossy paper. And for a long time, Sears was strictly a mail-order business. The online shopping of its day. Physical retail locations would come later. And even then, the stores had only a fraction of the items available in the catalog, and not everyone lived near a retail location anyway. And so, in the 1930s, when Sears created its first Christmas catalog, and remember, this is pre-television, and at the time only about 60% of American households had a radio, that catalog served as the singular, definitive source for all things for tiny tots to set their eyes all aglow. When you did not have big box retailers that were chains across America, you certainly didn't have toy sections and Toys R Us's and, and Walmarts with their, with their significant toy sections. So for most kids growing up for many generations, this was your entry land into toys. Clearly, Sears had hit on something that captured the imagination and kept the cash registers ringing. So by the time they began calling their annual Christmas catalog the Wish Book, the competition had started to follow their lead. By the 60s and 70s, they really started to inspire other people to do these things. Christmas catalogs had become a presence throughout the season, and every year they got bigger and bigger. That first 1937 Sears catalog had 104 pages. Compare that to the 1991 edition, which had a whopping 806 pages. And then, later in the 1990s, and over the course of just a few Christmases, they were gone. Why did Christmas catalogs go away? Well, I mean, like with so many published things, like with so much re the upheaval in retail, you can point to A, the internet, and B, Amazon. These are the two things. You know, Amazon, which sort of really did what Sears did 120 years earlier, the need for catalogs, as you could order more things online and look at things online, became less and less. And, you know, as the people who still demanded those catalogs started to die off or became less important to companies, um, they started to go away. Well, maybe gone isn't the right word. Just that new ones were no longer being made. But for Jason Liebig, that same internet that killed the Christmas catalog would also be the thing that helped to preserve their memory. And one of the first things I realized when the internet came about was everything that was so hard for me to find and reference and see and enjoy was suddenly just available to people who grew up, of course, in the world of the internet. The idea that you can just bring up any episode of any show you used to love is not miraculous. But to me, it was, and to a large degree, remains miraculous. And pretty quickly, Jason knew he had struck a nostalgic chord. I would get visitations from people with their parents, you know, like their senior parents who were, who were quite old, who they would, they would sit and go through the catalog together as a form of of sort of re-experiencing a shared Christmas, which are my favorite emails to get. It's more than just nostalgia, more than a flashback to the glories of Christmases long, long ago. 
In their own way, these catalogs tell you something about the time they came from. They're a great historical document. They reflect society. When you pick up a catalog from the 50s and you understand what life was like just a little bit. To flip through one is to get a sense of style trends for clothes, hair, and makeup. Many items were branded merchandising tie-ins, so it's a peek into what movies, TV shows, cartoon characters, and music were popular at the time. They provide a good overview of the state of consumer technology, and much, much more. Maybe this explains why researchers and college professors have let Jason know that they use his site for various academic purposes. Now that I'm a dad and passing my love of Christmas on to the next generation, I can't help but feel that this is one special thing I can't pass down, stuck as it is in the time it belonged to, but forever to remain a part of Christmas past. This generation, what will that be for them? What will that look like? Is that going to be just like, you know, perusing the internet? Are they ever going to have that memory of that moment? You get that catalog and it is such a moment where you have to stop everything and you need to, you know, Fully focused. This is serious business. What do I want from Santa this year? Well, speaking of kids and Santa, there must come that day in every child's life when their relation with Santa changes. Jessica in Florida has a Christmas memory involving just that, so if you're listening with your little ones, now's a good time to hit the pause button or put in your headphones. This is Jessica Tomlinson from St. Petersburg, Florida. As a child, I was very inquisitive, always exploring to find out how things worked. So naturally, it didn't take long for me to begin questioning just how it was that Santa traveled all around the world and climbed down every one of those chimneys in just one night. And what's to be said of those families who did not have chimneys? I also thought that if Santa and his elves actually made all those toys, as was commonly recounted, then I should be able to dream up imaginative, whimsical, unique, one-of-a-kind creations that only I could ever think of, and Santa would just make them for me. But then I started noticing that all the toys appeared to be store-bought, and the wrapping paper covering them was the same wrapping paper that I used to wrap gifts for my cousins and friends. Then one night, I stayed up late and caught my mother in the act of secretly slipping presents under the Christmas tree. The jig was up, but I didn't totally throw away the idea of Santa Claus. It was told to me that Santa was just a name and a face put to the spirit of giving and the holiday season. And that's how I view Santa Claus today. In fact, that year, I turned the tables. I told my parents that they would have to stay in bed, and I would slip around sometime in the middle of the night, slipping presents under the Christmas tree just like Santa Claus. And that's what I did for the next several years. I thrilled to the idea of becoming Santa Claus myself, having solved the mystery and found something even bigger, the gift of giving. Were Wishbook catalogs part of your childhood Christmases? Do you have any memories involving them or any Christmas memories of any other type that you'd like to share with the rest of us? All you have to do is record yourself speaking into your phone's voice memo app and send it to christmaspasspodcast at gmail.com. Just keep it reasonably short, clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earl. 
Thank you so much to Jason Liebig. Check out the marvelous Wishbook Web at wishbookweb.com. Thanks to Anne in California and Jessica in Florida, and thank you for listening. I hope you're having a wonderful Christmas season so far and that you've got a lot of fun things coming up. I'd love to hear about them, so drop me a line anytime. Again, I'm at christmaspasspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and let me invite you to join our private Christmas Past Facebook group if you haven't yet. And hey, if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover the show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card is my way of saying thanks. Reach out for details. And until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright.